Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. You're listening to The Times. Go to thetimes.co.uk. I mock you, Glastonbury. There's Percy Faith and his orchestra, the Gale from Impanina, no mud, just pure football here. This is the Game Podcast from The Times, and I'm Tony Evans. And this is the fourth of six special shows from this year's World Cup from Brazil. Joining me today is James Scowcroft, who's all the way from France, and down the line from Brazil is James Ducker. Right, we're going to start off talking about Arjen Robben. His last-minute, um, how should we put it, um, dive has um, caused some controversy over there. James, what's your feeling, former striker? You're in the area, you're in the last minute of a big game. Do you go down like that? What did you think of it? I thought it was a penalty, that's what I thought of it. I think he's, he's made the most of it, but that, that's what he's tried to do. And can you really blame him? If, if you were supporting his side, or you were Dutch, would you be moaning this morning? I don't think so. I, I think the one before, he's been a little bit over the top and possibly could have stayed on his feet. But, you know, he, he's worked so hard, Robin, to win that opportunity and just to sort of nick the ball before, you know, I don't think anyone really can blame him. Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't believe he even dived in there, James. I mean, I just thought it was... Well, it, it just last minute of the game, you just surely just show him out of space, really. You just show him out of the pit. Worst case scenario, give a corner away. Over to Brazil. James, Marquez has been a liability all his career. He's dived into challenges all the time. You know, he's got a reputation for that. Isn't this one of the situations where you just jockey Robin? You know that if you go anywhere near him, he's going to go down. I couldn't agree more, Tony. As, as exaggerated as Robin's fall was in, in some eyes, that'll be deplorable. Uh, there was contact. I thought it was not particularly smart defending from from a guy who should know better, who's been around the block. You know how quick-footed he is. Um, you know how elusive he is. If ever there is a player that you stand your ground, that you stand your ground on, keep on your toes on, and, and don't sort of launch in on, it's uh, it's Arjen Robin. That's exactly what he's looking for, and and he's very very skilled at, at sort of winning those uh, winning those fouls. And and yeah, you know, there'll be a de- debate about the sort of the exaggerated manner of the fall, but and I'm not and I'm not justifying that. But it was a penalty. And the, complete all they want about it but it was a penalty Back to France James what did you think of Mexico I mean they played so well for you know the vast majority of the game and then the weight of where they were seemed to come down on them they started doing things that they wouldn't do I mean you know if that would have happened in the second minute rather than you know the second minutes of of injury time I'm sure they wouldn't have defended like that and they started to get a bit panicky the weight of that fifth game the qualification for the quarterfinals did you think it was beginning to show on them? I think it's one of those I think we've seen a few teams do it really they're getting that last five minutes and 
they can see that they're there, but all of a sudden pressure affects people, Tony. People do, you know, funny things that they would, wouldn't do under pressure, i.e. in the first five minutes when you're a little bit more relaxed than what you in, are in the last minute. And another thing is it's tired legs as well, especially in the heat that the Mexico-Holland um, game was played in. I just think there's all of a sudden starts a panic and maybe there is where you need experience. You need some cool heads. And, you know, if you look at Holland, the experience they had, I think that came through in the final 15, 20 minutes of that game. Yeah, we'll come back to that in a minute. But I want to go over to Brazil and talk to James about the other bad boy that's um, uh, all the conversations uh, this week, Luis Suarez. With, you know, he's got the most preposterous excuse since the, the trans Rio Platin Spanish excuse over the everything he's kind of he's overshadowed uh, much of the tournament over here James do you think the uh, the sanctions they've had against him ban him from football until November is fair and do you think the Uruguayan response calling people fascists and things like that is um, perhaps the most ridiculous thing you've ever seen in football I think the Uruguayan response has been Quite extraordinary. I, I mean, I think the, the the Uruguayan president sort of had his say today, isn't he? I think he's called um, FIFA sons of bitches or, or something something um, to that effect. The, the the worst bit of the response for me was the applauding from Uruguayan journalists to Tabrez's Tabre, sort of long sermon about the whole sort of FIFA ruling. I just thought on every level that sort of undermine what, what journalism is supposed to, about, uh, to be about. They've shown absolutely no objectivity whatsoever in that country. Uh, it's just be they've just they've wholesale bought all the um, the drivel that Suarez, Tavares and Euro, the Uruguayan sort of uh, hierarchy, FA and squad in general have been spouting. And it's been pretty, uh, pretty nauseating to witness. And, and I know that feeling is shared by a sort of a large number of the international sort of media. Uh, in terms of Schwara, in terms of the actual punishment, what what's quite interesting here is how clear FIFA have been in terms of sort of establishing whether his his prior sort of record for biting has sort of been taken into account here. This very very sort of blurred line. I think our colleague Oliver K sort of suggested uh, this week that FIFA seems to have been making up as, as, as they go. If the if the banned Suarez as they have for sort of four months from all football, then then clearly you would think that they've taken his his record of biting up Man McCall and um, and Branislav Ivanovic into into consideration. And and if that has been the case, then I totally understand and agree with the extent extent of the ban. I think the the sort of the, the grey area is that if it was sort of considered a first offence in sort of international terms, whether the actual punishment in that sense is is, is too great. I mean, we all look at it and think, it's his third offence, throw the book at him, and, I, and, and I'm glad they have. But if you actually sort of get into the semantics of the, uh, the situation, I think FIFA really sort of need to be clear on it. And I, and I can understand in that sense sort of Liverpool's upset. But there is this sort of grey area. One of the things that bothers me is as bad as it is biting, and he deserves to be punished. It's leg-breaking challenges that get me, things that can end people's career. As a professional, 
I mean, how do you view it? Is it over the top, the punishment? Is it because it's so otherworldly, you know, for want of a better phrase, the biting? Because we see people punching each other and kicking each other and elbowing each other all the time. And aren't they the things, the really violent things that can hurt people that we should get out of the game? You know, there's the argument that footballers are role models. And I think that's, you know, with all the advertisement that goes on now, with all the, you know, like come through Paris this morning and there's a massive Adidas advert with Suarez right in the middle and, and you know these are role models and kids will buy the boots that these players wear and I just think you know punching and, and leg breaking tackles we, we've tried to stamp that out but you know biting I've never ever come across it before and, and that just has to, to go um, I think maybe FIFA probably reacted a little bit too quickly with the, the worldwide ban maybe he should have been kicked out of this World Cup and then possibly it could have just been a 12 month international ban and he could have gone back to his club football uh, you know maybe something could have happened there because you know like I say Liverpool Football Club have worked hard really to stick by him last year and it, it's a um, you know a massive blow for Liverpool really but it, it's something that has to be stamped down I actually feel I wouldn't say sorry is the right word but I just think it's it's something that he needs help with really because if you look at it it's just a, a, a reaction before he's even thought about it. Yeah, I mean, Liverpool are absolutely appalled. And I think there was a realisation at Anfield that this sort of thing was going to go on, that would happen again. And I think that was part of the thought process in the move to shift them out to Barcelona or Real Madrid. I can't see him wearing a Liverpool shirt again. And I think the deal will be done fairly quickly now. I want to move to another ex, well, uh, an ex-Liverpool man, uh, Hodgson, who took England into the World Cup with a fair amount of positivism, a lot of pace, and then took them out in misery. But, like, I can't believe how muted the um, the criticism has been of him. You know, it, it seems to me I'm the only one who wrote a, a severely critical piece about him in the whole national press. And um, I said, frankly, that he made decisions that a Sunday league coach should be embarrassed about. What's your view of Hodgson? And can you believe the reaction over here, James? What concerns me is that and, and this is, I suppose, part of a wider problem, but he's been in charge for sort of coming up for two and a half years, and yet there is no identity at all to that national team. I, I, I watch them, and I have no idea what their style of play is. We have no sort of ready, readily sort of identifiable style of play, and what concerned me about the first two games was against Italy, they sort of seemed to have this approach that we'll try and beat them in the first half an hour which is not really the sort of way I would say to approach tournament football. But but at least there was some pace and purpose going forward in a, you know, an attacking sense. And then you, the Uruguay game, it's sort of back to one-paced, one-dimensional football. And there just seemed to be no continuity whatsoever. I mean, you see some of the other, the other teams in this tournament and they've switched superbly between, say, a four-man defence and a three-man defence. Holland and Chile have done that to very good effect. There's a clear sort of pattern of play. There's a clear style. There's a clear ethos that he's coming down from, from the coach. The players know exactly what he's demanded of them. Those first two games, Italy and Uruguay, just not sure the players know what is expected of them. It's almost like sort of, let's have a go. Let's make it up as we go. I gave Hodgson you could the benefit of the doubt. Uh, in the Euros because he'd sort of jettisoned in, uh, you know, at a late stage. Uh, you know, I thought they did reasonably well given the circumstances there. But I think there's a lot less excuse. I think there's a lot less excuse here. I mean, they really have stank Brazil out and that takes some sort of doing in what, what has been a, uh, an otherwise brilliant tournament. Hodgson had a lot of pace in the squad. 
you know, we see that pace scares people, running at people scares people. You know, we've seen what the Dutch Van Hals is with it. And yet he managed to, to waste that pace and accentuate the negatives that they had in the squad, like um, Steven Gerrard's lack of legs. And as, as the next player, you must have looked at that and thought, what's he doing? What, what, what's your view of that? I think, yeah, we have got a lot of pace and, and we haven't always had pace in the squad. If you, if you look at football in a general, this is in the Premier League and it's happening in the World Cup. Spain against um, Holland was a prime example. More and more teams, I'd, I'd say a high percentage teams, are now playing counter-attacking football. And that's defending deep and then thinking, right, we're going to suck you in and then we're going to punish the space in behind with pace. But you, you've got to have your noses in front to do that at times. It's very hard to chase a game like we did against... Italy, like we did against Uruguay, when they get the nose in front, they're going to defend deep, and if you defend deep, that just nullifies that pace, really, so you've got to have a plan B, whether that's a, an Andy Carroll comes on, whether that's a Ricky Lambert comes on, you, you need to have this plan B, and, and I think, you know, we, we talk about philosophies, and I think identities, England have always struggled with that, but you've got to change, you, you've got to, you know, it's all about winning games of football, really, and, and if you've got to do something to win a game of football, go and do it, if you've got to go and do something else, you need to go and do that, but I just think, all of a sudden, we've got this sort of pace, but we need you need to be really solid and defend really, really well for that pace to count. It's no good having these players, four or five forward-thinking players that come for it if you're going to be really isolated at the back. And I think Roy Hodgson got the balance very, very uh, poorly in the World Cup. You compare him to Louis van Gaal, who, against Spain, utilised his pace beautifully. And then, against Mexico, you, you, know, you, you look where he did. He took his best striker off. You know, he, he took Van Persie off and he changed things around and he knocked the ball in. He went for a plan B. You know, he's going to be in the Premier League with Manchester United next year. I think he's going to be one of the most entertaining uh, managers we've seen uh, for a long, long time. I think he might even be more entertaining than Mourinho. But you look at what he did and you see the way his team changed, the, the style and the way they kept the shape and the patience. And it does, it makes... Roy Hodgson look a little bit foolish. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. 
doesn't it, uh, James in Brazil. Van Gaal has excelled himself at this tournament. It's quite interesting, though, Tony, you speak to the Dutch media and there's been this sort of um, running battle uh, between them and um, them and, um, and Louis van Gaal throughout the tournament. They've been quite critical back in Holland of, of his switch to a 5-3-2. I've taken a different viewpoint. The, the, the way uh, he has sort of turned games in, uh, in the second half particularly the introduction of his substitutes, notably Memphis Depay, who's been outstanding, I think, coming off the bench and used as an impact substitute, really sort of sets him apart. The, 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 Dutch are, the Dutch media are arguing, well, if he set up the team better to begin with, we won't be having to chase games. I don't agree with that. He always seems to be able to find a solution. Um, I think one of the things that strikes me with, with Holland is that you talk about pace and you talk about that pace that England have, but... With Holland, it's pace with control. Robin is an extremely fast player, accelerates away, but it's pace with great control, great precision. And the, the, as James was saying before, we've seen that sort of exploited to sort of brilliant effect on the, on, on, on the counter-attack. You know what my favourite thing about the Holland team is? They've got butch names. Ron, Dirk, Bruno. And for that reason, I hope they go on and win it. I'm Tony Evans. This is the Game World Cup podcast from The Times. Now we're going to talk about the games to come. We've talked about what's happened. We're going to talk about what's in the future. And I'll tell you what, it's been so exciting. They've, equaled, they've already equaled the number of goals from South Africa. And we've got, we've got so much good stuff to come. James, the next player, is your mouth watering, looking forward to some of these matches that are coming up? Well, it's just game after game, isn't it? Every game, especially now that it's knockout games. Even last night's game, Greece, Costa Rica... To, to start with, you think, oh, this is, but it ended up, you know, absolutely fascinating game of football and it goes to penalties. Just looking for, you know, through t- tomorrow, France, Nigeria, I think will be good. I quite like the, uh, the French. I think they've approached the tournament in the right way and, and look exciting. Germany as well, I think, out of the best organisation, we're talking about how well um, Holland are organised, I, I think Germany are very well organised as well. Well, um, pe- people haven't really been talking about the Germans. They haven't got excited about them yet. I think it's going to happen any second, isn't it? But if you look at it, a lot of teams like Brazil are very reliant on Neymar. Argentina are very reliant on uh, Messi. But if you look at Germany, they haven't really got any standout stars. Maybe that's why that they've sort of gone under the radar, really. But what they are, they're a team. And I think they're a very good team as well. They may be just struggling. They don't have the world-class centre-forwards. But, you know, Müller knows where the back of the net is. James, you're in Sao Paulo. What's the mood like that? How excited are people? And do you see Brazil's lack of a cutting edge up front uh, as being a drawback for them? Yeah, I do. I mean, we obviously ran that piece, Tony, on uh, on Saturday, didn't we, about Alexandra Pato, who um, most Brazilians thought would be the centre forward and the star of this tournament, alongside um, you know Neymar and the run up and the run up to it a few years ago. You know, Fred is a, a quite an unrefined sort of figure, very sort of un Brazilian, and I don't think he's a brilliant a brilliant tar- target man, and it's put considerable pressure on on Neymar to deliver. That said. I do think Neymar benefits from from having a having a sort of a, a classic sort of burly number nine ahead of him. Uh, I know sort of a lot of the guys in in Spain last season said that they felt he suffered a little, a little bit at times for the lack of that, and sort of been you know switched across you know all three of the front of the of the front three spots. He, he is at his best sort of drifting in from that wide left position. Uh, he looks most comfortable there. He's been quite actually vocal. Talking about that over here, Tony, 
he likes to be able to roam in. He gives him some space, and uh, and the Fred's an actual decent foil for him. But I do think, I mean, he's he's been just. I think he's been a joy to watch. I think it's remarkable for a 22-year-old to sort of just look so effort, effortless and it just doesn't look like the, the pressure is remotely affecting him. That penalty, um, you know, in the last 16 was just brilliantly taken. He would probably argue that they've, um, that he benefited from that. But if they had a top-class centre-half, a uh, top-class centre-forward, they would be better. My concern, though, goes back to um, the, the defence. I think the, the central defence is weak and I think the full-backs are susceptible they they do get forward there's a lot of space to exploit behind them which is why i think it was quite nice to see fernandino start you know against chile i think you know he does offer them a lot more in central midfield i wouldn't be surprised if you were if you saw him a lot now for the remainder of the tournament james and france do you, do you think that colombia will get a lot of space um between the brazil midfield and defense and they can exploit the sort of weaknesses that we've seen from david luiz and tiago silva yeah, i do i think if you look at brazil as a team I think they're great when they've got the ball but when they haven't got the ball they're not so great really and, and that's ultimately that that can cause big big problems really teams there's very few successful teams that when they haven't got the ball can get away with that really and I think that is Brazil's fault and I think if you get a well-organized team against them that can pick up in little gaps especially between the midfield and, def- and defense I think they will cause Brazil problems you know especially at times if they overcommit and they, they lack discipline really uh, I think it'll be a good game and I think it'll be another tense tense game I, I could well see it going to penalties. James do you think Colombia have got a chance of beating them? Yeah absolutely they are a, a potent attacking force I think I mean, obviously, James Rodriguez is is sort of caught all the attention. We're quite sure people are sort of talking about him almost as an unknown. He he cost Monaco nearly thirty eight million pounds, but he, I mean, he's on he is on fire and um, and his confidence couldn't be higher. But they are a really slick attacking force. I think Roberto Martinez, one of our columnists, was was he was tipped them as one of their dark horses for the uh, start of the tournament so they're a, they're a real potent force going forward I think the concern for me with them again is, defend, is defensively and also just whether there is that real sort of conviction about them that they, they feel that they can that they can go really really far in this tournament you know against I think what's quite a limited Uruguay side I was disappointed with Colombia for the last th- th- 30 minutes they, um, they really let Uruguay back into that game Uruguay squandered some good chances and, and I'm sure if Luis Suarez had been playing in that game Uruguay would have nicked a goal back and set up a very very tense finale as it was they sort of got through it but I as much as I think the likes of Rodriguez can can hurt that Brazil defence I'm sure Neymar will be licking his lips at the sort of prospect of running at running in behind that Colombian midfield and sort of pressing onto their centre-halves before we finish up, I want to get the professional view of who's going to win this World Cup. James, come on, tell us. I went, I went for uh, Argentina before the World Cup because you just look at the array of talent they've got going forward. And if Messi did perform, which he has performed at the moment, I think he would carry them across the line. So I'll stick with them. But it, it, it's honestly wide open. You know, James is just talking about Colombia and maybe they, they don't believe that they could go that far. Well, they've only got to win two games and are in the final. You know, this is you, you're getting down to. Elite football now, where winning and losing is a very fine margin. So, but I'm going to stick with Argentina. And James, you've been away in Brazil for a month or so. Your time's coming to an end as the tournament comes up. What has struck you about it, and who's going to win it? Yeah, I'm very sad to be going. It's been a it's been a remarkable tournament. In terms of the football, 
you know, what struck me is uh, you know, a few things. Being a rich sort of array of attacking football, I, I think we sort of benefit from the fact that the defences aren't brilliant, but we have just some exceptional forward players this tournament. One of the unspoken sort of things that I've really liked is that the referees have let the games flow. Yeah, there have been some a couple of contentious penalty decisions. Yeah, there's been the odd um, strange tackle that's gone uh, unpunished. But for the most part, they really have let the, the game flow. I know there's been a mandate down from FIFA to encourage that, but they have they have really excelled themselves, I think, at this uh, at this tournament. And in terms of just Brazil generally, obviously there's a load of horror stories, you know, in the build up to the tournament. Having having seen sort of Sao Paulo and Porto Alegre at, at close quarters. I think it's it's terrible that there will be no sort of sustained social and economic legacy here. They are crying out for sort of improved infrastructure, and yet despite that, they have they have really sort of made this tournament work. There there is a sense that that they begrudge sort of FIFA and the and the authorities greatly, and there has obviously been a lot of protests and there's some immense bitterness there. And that, but I think that might sort of be truly felt uh, come the elections later in the year. But they've really sort of made the tournament work. The airports have actually all run pretty smoothly. But there, there is sort of been a, a great sort of spirit about it. For a country with sort of quite a violent and sort of checkered history, they are incredibly friendly people. What I do think is crucial is that obviously Brazil stay in the tournament. I was pleased that they got past Chile just because I think uh, if they do go out, there will be an enormous sense of deflation in the country. And, and I think that's when sort of the bitterness about the cost of the cost, the cost of staging the tournament might really sort of come out, but at the moment, the sort of football is having a unifying effect. And and after sort of some initial sort of scepticism, the the Brazilians seem to sort of really be getting behind the national team now. Going back to the referee, and I totally agree with you there, and I think that's been one of the most refreshing parts of the World Cup. I was a bit worried that it's going to be full of yellow cards, full of red cards, and just full of people diving around. Do you think you'd like to see that now in the Premier League? Because I actually, you know, looking at the games, I think in players would never get away with that in the Premier League these days. It'd be nice now to sort of see in the Premier League to see a sliding tackle go in. And if it's slightly mischimed, then, well, it's it's not the end of the world. But someone doesn't get a red card for a, you know, for a, a challenge, which you think, well, he's only trying to go and win the ball there. I couldn't agree with you more, James. I think it would be a, uh, I think it would be a great a great benefit to um, to the football. I think, I mean, a lot of our sort of European counterparts would say that that in England they do let the game flow more than, than they might do in Italy or Spain. But I, I do think that the the powers that be can sort of look at this tournament and think, you know what, there is, there is a lot to be said for for letting some things go. I do think at times we try and over-police the game. That doesn't mean that some horrendous tackle doesn't warrant you know severe punishment. I think the problem is, James, and we've, we've talked about this in the past, is that someone commits a bad tackle and rather than sort of focusing on, on on that and the need to sort of cut out just horrendously tra- time reckless challenges, the sort of debate widens to the point where uh, it sort of lo- becomes a little bit irrational, and and and, and people are trying to urge referees to clamp down on everything and anything that happens. And you've got to remember, football is a physical game; it is played yeah. at great pace, and even greater pace now. And clearly, there are going to be mistimed challenges. Things are going to go wrong, and and that's just sort of I suppose it's one of the inevitabilities, but also one of the beauties of the sport. But and at that be- point, like a referee, I'm going to have to blow the whistle on this Times podcast. This is the game World Cup podcast, and many thanks to my guest James Scowcroft, who gave us that expert analysis, the view from the inside. 
and James Tucker, who gave us that potent mix of football reportage and political comments. Uh, we'll give you a guest direct from Brazil every Monday during the World Cup, so don't forget to tune in to the game podcast. It's invariably brilliant, and I won't be presenting it, so you don't have to worry about that. And uh, read about all the latest news from Brazil in the Times. When the games are on, we do a 16-page game, 12-page game. I'll tell you what, the brilliant. I've aged 10 years. It's the most balanced team in the World Cup. The writers who are doing it from Brazil, Ollie Kay, James Ducker, Matt Dickinson, Rory Smith, Matt Hughes, and it's superb. So if you don't buy it, I'm going to come looking for you. We'll be back next week, and I'll see you all soon. Hi, I'm Tim Montgomery, the presenter of Another Times podcast from the opinion pages called Did You Read? It's the perfect weekly snapshot of some of the best writing in the newspaper. Find out more by heading to thetimes.co.uk slash comment central and search Did You Read to subscribe on iTunes.